everybody, and welcome to this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Oh my goodness, I am excited to be here, ladies and gentlemen, and I will tell you why. Because we are one week away from the Premier League. Yes, give yourselves a round of applause. Give yourselves a round of applause. And I and I didn't know this till today, like today, today, that we are also one week from right now, because when the show comes out, I'll be exactly one week away from the Premier League, so Friday, next Friday, August 5th. August 4th is the first football game of the year. And I know, I know, I know, I know, I know the USFL has been taking place. There's arena football and IFL stuff and fan-controlled football and things like that. But the NFL is back. I do not care if it's a preseason game. I do not care if it's the Hall of Fame game. It is still an NFL football game against two extremely quality opponents. We got the Las Vegas Raiders, who, of course, made the playoffs last year spearheaded by future Hall of Fame quarterback Derek Carr and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, for those of you who are unaware of how the Hall of Fame game works, so it is the Hall of Fame ceremony, okay? And the Hall of Fame ceremony is, there's a nice little game played before the the Hall of... There's a nice little game played before the Hall of Fame inductees. So usually, the teams that are involved in the game have some players that are play, that are going into the Hall of Fame that used to play for their organization, okay? So for the Jacksonville Jaguars, we have Tony Baselli, whose career was really short. He had a really short career. Six years in the NFL, playing with both the Houston Texans and the Jacksonville Jaguars, arguably the greatest Jacksonville Jaguar of all time. Actually, I don't know if it's arguably. I think he is. I think you're comparing him and the likes of like Fred Taylor or someone like that, if you don't remember Fred Taylor. Very good running back. We'll get to running backs here in a little bit, but Tony Baselli was awesome. He's a very, 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 very good player. He is the only player that I've seen, of course, this is highlights because I was not alive, or if I was alive, I was very young, seen shut down the likes of Bruce Smith. Tony Baselli was the number two overall pick in the 1993 NFL draft, I believe. Draft that had Steve McNair, Kerry Collins, and teams like that. that was the Jacksonville Jaguars and the um, Carolina Panthers' first year in existence, I believe. Their first draft. And the, the Oilers, at the time, now the Tennessee Titans, were scared that the Jaguars were going to get a team to trade up with them to take Steve McNair. They were sitting at number three. The Panthers were sitting at number four. They took Kerry Collins at four. Steve McNair went to the Oilers. Now the Tennessee Titans at number three. And then they were the Tennessee Oilers. Then... Then they were the Tennessee Titans, and now that's what they are. That's what they still are. And then for the Raiders, we got Cliff Branch, um, played for the Los Angeles, Los Angeles and Oakland Raiders, played there from 72 to 85, longtime Raider, one of the greatest wide receivers in, in Raider history. So those are your two teams that we got going on in here, and those are connections. You also got Richard Seymour in there as well. He played for the Raiders for a tiny bit, played, most notably played for the Patriots. One of the greatest defensive ends in Patriots history. Played for the Raiders for about four years, three years, somewhere around there. So that is why, if you look at there and go, who the hell wants to watch the Jacksonville Jaguars in any game take on the Las Vegas Raiders in the Hall of Fame game, the first game of the season? Very first game of the season, we are treated to Jaguars-Raiders. Not usually a big ticket pusher or a big uh, move-the-needle, per se. But there are Hall of Famers, there are players going into the Hall of Fame that are associated with these two organizations. So let's give these players a round of applause. We've also got a few other people going into the Hall of Fame as well. 
We've got Bryant Young, who's a defensive tackle for the 49ers for many, many years. We've got Dick Vermeil, coach of the Greatest Show on Turf, famously, but he also coached Philadelphia Eagles before, then one of the winningest coaches of the 80s, I believe. Or one of the winningest coaches of all time, I believe, because he only coached for a couple years in the But he got the I'm pretty confident he got the Eagles to a Super Bowl. So there's that. We got Sam Mills as well, who's a linebacker, played for the Saints and Carolina Panthers. We got Art McNally, who was an official. Going into the Hall of Fame, we got Leroy Butler, who played safety for the Green Bay Packers, won a Super Bowl with the Packers, with Brett Favre. Then, of course, we got Cliff Branch, Tony Maselli, and Richard Seymour, the players we already mentioned. But yeah, the Hall of Fame game is fun. But we don't, we're not going to start off with the Hall of Fame game, even though... Actually, no. We're going we're gonna to start off with football, because that, that takes place before the Premier League. It does. It does. Thursday is before Friday, so we are going to talk about the thing that happens Thursday before the thing that happens on Friday, okay? Does that make any sense? But before we get into any of that stuff, let's make sure we go over some housekeeping items first. Make sure you're following the Logan Blackman Show on all forms of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. The Twitter account is Logan underscore Blackman. The Instagram account is Logan, or Blackman Logan. The show's Instagram account is The Logan Blackman Show 1. Facebook and YouTube, just search The Logan Blackman Show to pop up, and of course, you're listening to it right now. So make sure you're subscribed and or following on both or just one of them on the Apple Podcasts and Spotify account. Leave a rating on a five stars and leave a description below and why you think the show deserved the rating you gave. No matter how harsh it is, I will appreciate it and we'll get better from it. If it's terrible, well, we'll get better. We'll move on. But if it's it's just a scathing report, then you know what? There'll be nothing I can do about it. And I'll cry. And I might retire, just depending on how harsh the the critiques are but we're talking about the hall of fame game and we kind of mentioned this on wednesday of Devonte adams it, it's just a Devonte adams and tyreek hill thing this offseason for whatever reason these two are taking the job title of wide receiver to a whole new level okay so when you get traded or when you go to a new organization you do not want to go out to the media and brag about your old quarterback especially when you're a wide receiver because you ain't gonna get the ball your whole job, or your what you need, is the quarterback to be happy. You and the quarterback to be on good terms, so he gives you the football. If you guys aren't on good terms, why the hell would he give you the football? It doesn't really matter how good it is, how good you are. If the quarterback's upset with you, you ain't getting the ball. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. So when you go to a new team, you got to hype up your quarterback. You're like, man, this is the guy. This is my dude. I'm I'm back in the quarterback. Like we had Robbie Anderson this offseason, the Carolina Panthers. Sam Darnold. He had a Previous relationship with Sam Darnold in New York with the Jets. Sam Darnold's now the quarterback now, soon to be backup quarterback of the Carolina Panthers. But a few weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago, there was a report of Baker Mayfield being potentially traded the Carolina Panthers. And Sam, Robbie Anderson said, no, we good. Now, on face value, that can look really bad. But I listened to an interview he had on I Am Athlete the other day. And he said it was ball about back and Sam Darnold. Which is fair. I mean, you have a quarterback that's already extremely low on confidence. That is talented, but again, will probably never recover from what's gone on to him at this point in his career. And Robbie Anderson was with him with the Jets, so he's played with him before the Carolina Panthers. So he's going to try and defend his quarterback. And in fairness, Baker is not the greatest quarterback of all time. If you're getting a quarterback that's in the top 10, you'd be pretty stupid to say, no, we good when your quarterback is Sam Darnold. Now, do I think Baker Mayfield is a better quarterback than Sam Darnold? Yes, I do. I think the Panthers are a better team with Baker Mayfield at the helm than they are Sam Darnold. But they came in the same draft, same age, 
Like, I can understand where Robbie Anderson's coming from, where it's like, I got to defend my quarterback. If you're getting, like, I don't know, Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson or players like that, though NFL defensive coordinators, unnamed NFL defensive coordinators, don't like either of them. We'll get to the Patrick Mahomes one in a little bit. I never thought I'd say that, but we're going to get to a Patrick Mahomes critique here in a little bit. But he's defending his quarterback, okay? So Tyree Kill and Devontae Adams have been doing the same thing, but to astronomical levels. They have gone from future Hall of Fame quarterbacks and Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes, who's won an MVP, won a Super Bowl, done all that stuff. He's been to another one, won four straight AFC Championship games. Like, the dude is going to the Hall of Fame if you're retired today. That might, I don't know if that's controversial or not. I don't know if that is. But I think Patrick Mahomes is going to the Hall of Fame at this point. I do. I, uh, is, that, is that crazy for me to say that? I've critiqued Patrick Mahomes before about people loving themselves in Patrick Mahomes. Now he's pretty much inescapable to criticism, but I think right now Patrick Mahomes is a Hall of Famer. And while we're on that topic, I guess, I was going to save this for later, the, an unnamed off defensive coordinator, defensive play caller, spoke to the Athletic again. Now, I do not know if this is the same unnamed defensive coordinator, defensive play caller that bashed Lamar Jackson the other day, but apparently... This guy, or girl, we don't know, said, take his first read away. What does he do? He runs, he scrambles, and he plays street ball. Which, beside the point of that's just a completely ridiculous statement about taking his first read away. Lazy statement. It seems to work out for him, playing street ball. I mean, he's been pretty damn successful at uh, <laughs> playing this style of football. I, I take that back of the four AFC Championship wins. He's been to four straight games. He's lost two of them. He lost the Patriots and the Bengals, beat the Bills in one of them, and um, who was the other one? There's one in there that I'm completely forgetting about. Was it the Patriots again? I don't think it was the Patriots. Who'd they beat to win the Super Bowl against the Niners? Who'd they beat prior to that? Because it was after the year they lost the Patriots. Did they beat the Patriots then? Or they beat the Titans? That was, the, was that the Titans? Because the Titans beat the Patriots in the first round of the playoffs. I think it was the Titans. But regardless, Patrick Mahomes, why? I can somewhat understand criticism for Lamar Jackson. Somewhat. I'm against the whole he's a wide receiver narrative. I'm against the whole he's not a quarterback narrative or not a good quarterback or the whole stupid narrative if he wins 12 MVPs, which would smash the record, which would be more than double the current record of MVPs, that he's not the best quarterback in the NFL. I think he might be going down as the greatest football player of all time if he ends up winning 12 MVPs, but that's beside the point. Mahomes, this is ridiculous. Like, <laughs> I'm again, I've critiqued Patrick Mahomes before, but you cannot... Patrick Mahomes on throws past his first reach since 2018, the first year he was a starter. Because remember, he sat out the first year of his NFL career, sat up behind Alex Smith, played one game against the Broncos, didn't really do a whole lot. He had uh, the highest pro football focus grade, which I'm wishy-washy on pro football focus grades because remember the whole thing with Duck Hodges being better than Josh Allen. Remember that whole thing and Duck Hodges proceeded to throw, I think, four interceptions against the Bills. And it, like, it was, Yeah, but he also has 4,498 yards, damn near 4,500 passing yards, which is first in the league. Also has 39 passing touchdowns, which also is first in the league. Like, I love when people make these kind of statements behind a curtain and you can easily destroy their take. <laughs> like, easily. There's not even a problem there. Like, what? I saw that quote, and I was like, really? Out of all the quarterbacks we can bash right now, we're going to bash Patch Mahomes to that level? Take his first read away, all he does is scram. Okay, it works pretty well for him. 
I'm not going to lie, it looks pretty good for him. He's had some success to this point in his career. But Tyreek Hill, back on this, the, the hype around Tua is ridiculous, okay? We all know Tua is a fine individual. From all accounts, Tua seems like a very good person. Nice, strong Christian man. A man of faith. A left-handed quarterback who must be protected at all costs. Came in the league with a hip injury, with all sorts of ankle injuries and stuff like that. Has been relatively healthy throughout his time in the NFL. His kind of coach didn't like him. That's never a good a good start to your career, having a coach that never wanted you in the first place, wanted uh, Justin Herbert instead. So that's not a great start. Do I think he's accurate? Yes. Is he the most accurate quarterback in the NFL? Nah. Does he do anything better than Patrick Mahomes? Nah. And I, again, I understand Tyreek Hill hyping up his new quarterback and stuff like that, but it's kind of getting ridiculous at this point. That's why I said on Wednesday we got to stop giving Tyreek Hill a microphone. I know he has his own podcast, but he if he brings up Tua, unplug the mic. Wherever he's at, if it's on his own podcast or he's on first take or whatever it is, unplug his mic or turn down his mic or whatever because it's just going to sound like sewage coming out of his mouth. It's going to reek. And the same thing goes for Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams... Now, I think this is to a lesser extent. I don't think it's as egregious as comparing Patch Mahomes to Tua Tagovailoa. I don't think that's I don't I think that's bad. Derek Carr to Aaron Rodgers is not a horrific. It's not as bad as Tua to Patch Mahomes. I will say that. Is it still bad? Yes, it is not. It's a terrible take as well. Like the other day, we talked about this of Devontae Adams has been comparing Aaron Rodgers and Derek Carr. Okay? That's one thing, comparing the two. One, they're not similar at all. But besides that, we'll compare them at that. Number two, the other day he came out and said, when you go from one Hall of Famer to another Hall of Famer, it's kind of hard to adjust, which, again, doesn't make sense because when you're going from one future Hall of Famer to another one, there should be a pretty graceful period there of where there's really no issues. If you're going from Tom Brady to Patriots Cam Newton, then, yeah, there's a little bit of an issue there. Not from Joe Montana to Steve Young. Not from Aaron Ro- Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers. When you're going from Hall of Famer to Hall of Famer, it's a pretty seamless transition 90% of the time. 95, 99% of the time. I'm not going to say every time because, you know, there's odd examples in there. But Aaron Rodgers clapped back today, and I'm so happy he did this because it, it, it kind of sums it up here. Aaron Rodgers did the same thing comparing Devontae Adams to Alan Lazard. Like, this is the level we're getting to this offseason. And Aaron Rodgers said it as a joke. He, he did not mean that. I, I have really no beef against Alan Lazard. Played at Iowa State, sure, but he, and he went to Urbandale, my rival high school, but we're from the same area. I, I can walk to Urbandale High School from my house right now. I'm from the same area. So I really have nothing really against Alan Lazard, and I'm glad to see he's doing well in the NFL because, to be honest, myself, and I think a lot of people from the state of Iowa, did not really think he'd do this well in the NFL. I don't think we ever thought he'd be a number one receiver on a roster. Which, given however you want to look at the Packers roster of current wide receivers, it's kind of hard not to say Alan Lazard's the number one guy right now. I mean, they drafted Christian Watson. Sammy Watkins is hurt. They have Amari Rogers from Clemson they drafted last year. Randall Cobb is still there. Don't really have a tight end. They have two good running backs. But Alan Lazard really is the guy Aaron Rodgers trusts, which is really strange. Really strange. I would have never thought that. Dude got cut from the Jaguars. He's making as a number one receiver on the Packers. That's crazy. Now, it's going to be interesting to see how he does without Devontae Adams because when you have a Hall of Fame receiver like Devontae Adams on your roster, 
Your job as a number two guy is a lot easier. You're got, getting a lot of double coverage. You're not getting the best guy. You're getting the number two corner. Life's pretty easy. Like you saw Juju Smith-Schuster's numbers drop off when Antonio Brown left. You had the guy uh, Alvin Harper from the Dallas Cowboys when he played with Michael Irvin. Went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, signed a big-time contract with the Bucs, didn't do anything because he didn't have Michael Irvin on the other side of him. Like, leaving a Hall of Fame receiver for greener pastures or just having a Hall of Fame receiver not there anymore does make it a little harder. So we will see how Alan Lazard does this here. By at this point, like if Aaron Rod- if you if Aaron Rodgers has your trust, I think you're doing something right. So I think Alan Lazard should do fine. Do I think he'll transform into Devontae Adams? Not really. I mean, it's hard to transform into the best receiver in the NFL in one season, but hey, you never know. Stranger things have happened. But that's the level we're looking at in regards to this whole Hall of Fame. You go from one Hall of Famer to another, or we got Someone's Tua's better at anything than Patrick Mahomes, which I'm still not even convinced Tua is a better left-handed thrower than Patrick Mahomes is. I'm really not, and Tua's left-handed. So I don't know. I, I really don't know. But the Hall of Fame thing, Derek Carr's not a Hall of Famer. I'm sorry, Alan. Alan Lazard's not a Hall of Famer. And I'm really getting sick and tired. Like, Colin Coward has recently jumped on the Derek Carr Hall of Fame thing. And I just, like, why? Why? How is he a Hall of Famer? I, I just need to know in what realm, I don't care, like, ugh, if he had this coach, if he had this player, if he had that, that doesn't matter. Hall of Fame is judged off your stat. We don't have pity parties for the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame is the best of the best, no matter what your situation is. Tom Brady never had, like, there were portions when he had Kimbrell Thompson and Aaron Dobson as number one and two wide receivers. What are those two doing in the league right now? Like, Tom Brady's not always had the best receivers. Derek Carr has not always had the best receivers, but Tom Brady still won regardless. I know there were other situations. Oh, he had a more stable coaching staff and all that sort of thing. I don't care. Your your situation does not, like, pity does not, pity party does not equal a Hall of Fame. Matt Stafford's not a Hall of Famer. Derek Carr is certainly not a Hall of Famer because those two are, Matt Ryan should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Derek Carr has played in one playoff game, completed around 50% of his passes, Choked the game away against the Bengals. One playoff game. Why Why is he a Hall... Why are we considering him a Hall of Famer? Matt Stafford won a Super Bowl and then boom. Went from not being in the Hall of Fame to everybody liking him to now everybody likes him and now he's a Hall of Famer because he won one Super Bowl. Again, I bring the Phil Simms example to this debate. Phil Simms won a Super Bowl MVP and he's nowhere near the Hall of Fame. Never make it. So, pity parties... And feeling sorry for someone's situation does not mean they're instantly a Hall of Famer. You can feel bad for Matt Stafford, for Derek Carr, for quarterbacks of that nature. doesn't mean they're Hall of Famers. Because if they're Hall of Famers, Steve McNair's a Hall of Famer. Like, we're going down this realm of things of people that are quarterbacks, like these quarterbacks that aren't Hall of Famers, but then when you start letting these people in, then you got like, oh, crap, now we got to let all these guys in. Randall Cunningham's a Hall of Famer then. All these quarterbacks. Bernie Kosar is a Hall of Famer. Bernie Kosar is a two very interesting situations from going to two Super Bowls. Both against the Broncos. We had the drive and the Ernest Biner fumble, and there's two potential Super Bowl appearances for the Cleveland Browns in the 80s. And then we're talking about Bernie Kosar in a completely different light, and we're actually talking about Bernie Kosar, the Hall of Fame quarterback for the Cleveland Browns, which is weird to think about. Phil Simms is a Hall of Famer. There's so many different factors that make you an elite quarterback. And feeling sorry for them is not one of them. 
It's okay to have sympathy for quarterbacks, but then we start getting insane. It's like when I, I hate when these situations happen because they're really sad. But when someone passes away, like a famous athlete or a musician or someone like that, people start insanely overrating them. Or not maybe insanely, but overrating the point of where they never were before they passed away. Like the one I always think about is Kobe Bryant. Before Kobe Bryant passed away, there was not anybody that was saying he was a top three player of all time. I remember seeing videos of barbershops of people sitting in the chairs comparing Jordan and LeBron and a dude brings up Kobe, they laugh at him. Kobe was not a top three player until he passed away. The top three in NBA history before Kobe passed away was Jordan, LeBron, and Kareem. Pretty much unanimously. Now, Kobe's got a massive cult following, and I understand Kobe's legacy. Was I the biggest Kobe fan growing up? Not really. I wasn't the biggest Lakers fan growing up because I was of the mindset, this is wannabe Michael Jordan. As a Bulls fan, I didn't really want that. Like, it's, I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. And do I understand Kobe's legacy and what he meant to the sport of basketball? Yes, I 100% understand that. But now he's a top three player, and he wasn't when he was alive. That's what's confusing to me. Like, Matt Stafford wasn't a Hall of Famer until he got a Super Bowl, and now he's a Hall of Famer. Two completely different situations. I'm well aware of that. But... Just because something happened does not mean now they're at this level that they were never at before. Does that make any sense? And again, there's a lot of Kobe fans out there. There's a lot of them. A lot of people wear number eight and 24 because of Kobe Bryant. I wore number eight because of Clint Dempsey. <laughs> I, wore, <laughs> I wore number eight in soccer because of Clint Dempsey. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting topping, talking points that get brought up now. Like I remember seeing another thing, and I love Mac Miller. But Mac Miller's not a better rapper than Eminem. Let's, I understand why people really like Mac Miller. I really like Mac Miller. But he's not better than Eminem. I know Eminem's at through the years. It's getting a little cornier. But let's settle, let's settle down here a little bit. But regardless, I'm still excited to watch football. Regardless of what happened. Like, I'm really... Regardless of the Jaguars and Raiders... <laughs> I'm just really excited to watch some football. It'll be really, really fun. I, I love football. Regardless of the teams, regardless of the teams, I love football. And even though I don't like all the teams involved, like the Raiders, like the Chiefs, like the Patriots, like the Jets, like the Dolphins, like the Steelers, like the Cowboys, like all these different teams, I will still watch because I haven't had football in a very, very long time. I haven't had football in a very, very long time. And this got brought up yesterday I forgot to I totally forgot to bring it up when we were doing Wednesday's show like I had it pulled up and everything had it pulled up and everything and I was going to talk about it completely forgot about but this is something that usually divides Twitter quite a bit when it pops up USA Today 2022 record predictions like I remember a few years ago USA Today had the Bills going 2 and 14 this is when they had 16 games and that was a ridiculous it was like what the what are you what what have you looked at to think the Bills are going two and fourteen? And then the next year, Josh Allen's second year league, they would they predicted them at six and ten. So they made so many additions to the roster. And do you think they're gonna be the same record as they were when they were supposed to go two and fourteen? Craziness, craziness. But this one, they went a little supernova here with the Buffalo Bills as the best record in the NFL. The best at fifteen and two. 
And you know what's crazy? This is going to sound insanely, insanely biased. I don't think that's that far off. I really don't. When you look at the Bills' schedule this year, I'm not saying it's a walk in the park or anything, but there's not a lot of games that I'm nervous about when it comes to the Bills. Like the Rams. I think the week one they'll lose to the Rams. I think not having Tredavious White there will be huge. So I... And you with the Rams passing attack with Cooper Cup, with Allen Robinson coming in, and Van Jefferson, they're going to have some depth problems there at corner for at least, unless Trey White can come back week one. He tore his ACL during the Thanksgiving game against the Saints. So we'll see how that one goes. But I'm I'm a pessimistic fan normally, so that one I would think is an L. The Titans, I think they'll find they should beat the Titans. The Dolphins, they should beat the Dolphins. Ravens, they should beat the Ravens. Steelers, they should beat the Steelers. Chiefs up in the air about, but really they should beat the Chiefs this year. It's at Arrowhead again. In the past three or four years, they played in Buffalo one time. They always play in freaking Arrowhead. Then you got the bye week, then the Packers, which should be a fun one Sunday night football on Halloween. Or the, yeah, Halloween. Or just, no, trick or treat night. Halloween's the 31st. Then you got the Jets, Vikings, Browns, Lions, Patriots, Jets, Dolphins, Bears, Bengals, and Patriots. Now, I think, knock on wood, the low point for the Bills is four losses. I think. If they do worse than that, something went wrong. Something went very, very wrong. And expectations for the Bills going into the season have never been higher. Like, obviously, as they're projecting to go 15-2. and two. No one was projecting them to go 15-2 and two five years ago. That was not something people were doing. The Bills were in, a, in the midst of a playoff drought five years ago. Or no, they just broke. They were about to break the playoff drought, I guess. The season that was the offseason before they broke the playoff chart, I guess. Well, you look at the games like the Raven or like the, the Rams, you get the Chiefs, the Packers, and the Bengals. I think those are the toughest games. I think the Bills should sweep the division. I really do. That game against the Patriots last year where they lost because the Patriots ran the ball for 200 yards. Anomaly, because you saw what happened when the Bills turned it up a notch against the Patriots, blew them out in the playoffs, blew them out in Foxborough. So I don't really think they'll have an issue with the Patriots. The Dolphins should be interesting. But ever since Josh Allen's been the starting quarterback, the Bills have lost to the Dolphins one time, and it's never been close. And that was the first time he played the Dolphins. And they lost on a Charles Jones drop touchdown. So the Bills against the Dolphins hasn't really been an issue. We're not going to talk about the Jets all too often. The Browns, with everything going according to plan, I think would be very interesting. But with, there's a lot of distractions surrounding the Cleveland Browns, so I don't know what's going to go on with them. Then you got the Bengals. I think that will be really tough going to Cincinnati. 7.30, it's a Monday night game on January 2nd. That will be a very interesting game. Monday night football, Bills-Bengals. Who would have said that like eight or nine years ago? Who would have said that ever? That is ridiculous to think about. Monday night football, Bills-Bengals should be fun. But yeah, I don't really, this is, again, insanely biased for me, and I understand that. I very much understand that. But Bills at 15-2, and two, I don't think it's that far off. I think their low point, again, is 13-4. and four. I really think that's their low point. The next best record in football is 13-4 and four with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Buccaneers are in one of the worst divisions of football. So, yeah, I don't think that's too far off. They just signed Julio Jones. Julio Jones is older, but it's still Julio Jones. It's still Julio Jones. So, he'll provide a spark to that offense because it's Julio. Julio never – on his day, Julio Julio Jones is the best wide receiver in the NFL, bar none. 
He just needs to get back on his day. He was a part of a run-first offense in Tennessee. Didn't really get his opportunities. Played with freaking Ryan Tannehill. Tom Brady is there. It should, it should be fun. But you got to be careful of egos there. Wide receivers got the biggest egos in football. You got Mike Evans, Julio Jones, and Chris Godwin, plus Cameron Brate. So, and they just had an injury. Ryan Jensen, their center, just got carted off in practice. So we'll see how that one goes for them. But 13 and 4 for the Bucks. Yeah, they're going to be good again. Then we got a bunch of, a few teams with 12 and 5 records. We got the Rams, Ravens, and Bengals. Yeah, don't think those ones are too far off. A lot. I saw something a few weeks ago where the Bengals were one of the biggest sleepers going into the season. And I find that hard to believe when they just went to the Super Bowl. Now, this isn't Carolina Panthers who have never had back-to-back winning seasons in franchise history. Like, they went 15-1 and had a losing season the very next year. If it was the Panthers, I'd understand. But the Bengals, with how many good pieces they have on their roster and their approved offensive line, I don't really think they'll have an issue this year, especially with the Steelers being worse and the Browns having a lot of, di- a lot of distractions. Well, I don't. I guess I shouldn't say the Steelers are worse. We just don't know what their quarterback situation is going to be. Is Trubisky slash Pickett better or worse than what they had with Big Ben the past two seasons? I don't really know. I think Najee Harris will be a lot better, which is saying it's not really saying a whole lot because he was really good last year. They got a decent wide receiver course. Need to figure out the drops. Secondary still good. Defense is still good. Still got T.J. Watt. Still got Minka Fitzpatrick and all those guys. But, yeah, they have them at 9-8 and eight and the Browns at 6-11. and 11. I think the Browns one's a little harsh. I think they'll be a little closer to 500, I think. But, again, given the distractions they have, talent-wise, they should be up there. But distractions matter in the NFL. So we'll see how that one all goes for them. Uh, I guess we'll go over the rest of the Bills division. They have the Patriots at 10-7, and seven, Dolphins at 9-8, and eight, and the Jets at 5-12. and 12. Jet, uh, Patriots and Dolphins, I think you can flip around. They're, they're very similar teams. I think adding the likes of Tyreek Hill and Raheem Mostert will be add a lot of juice to the Dolphins' offense. But as this shows, if this was the any normal team with the, the secondary the Dolphins have with their solid defense, I think more people would be like, okay, this is going to be a pretty good team. But there's a lot of questions surrounding Tua. So they're going 9-8. and eight. But again, I think them and the Pages could flip records, and I wouldn't really have a big issue with it. AFC South, the Colts 9-8, Titans 8-9. They were the number one seed in the AFC last year, and they got them going 8-9. Then we got the Jaguars 6-11, and the Texans at 3-14. Yeah, the Texans won't be good. They probably won't be good again. So that's a tough one. Jaguars will be better. I mean, it's hard to be worse than what they were last year. And the Titans being that much worse. That much worse. I get not having A.J. Brown is big, but I think Traylon Burke's a nice wideout. And they're, they're just really consistent. They run the ball. They beat people up. That's just what they do. Colts at 8-9. And I do think the Colts win the division. But I, I just have a feeling those teams will be better than 8-9 eight, nine, and 9-8. Nine, and eight. That's just what my gut's telling me right now as I'm looking at it. Then we got the AFC West. Chiefs and Chargers at 11-6. Raiders at 9-8. and eight, And the Broncos at 8-9. This is a tough division. Toughest division in football. Like, all four of these teams made off big-time offseason acquisitions. Chiefs not as big. But, like, the Chargers got Khalil Mack and J.C. Jackson. The Raiders got Devontae Adams. They also got Yakia Sin for exchange for Yannick Ngakwe from the Colts. Broncos got freaking Russell Wilson. And the Chiefs got Juju Smith-Schuster and a couple other people around that level. So, at least that's what I'm remembering. They could have signed someone else. I'm just completely forgetting about it, and I apologize for that. But I really don't think the Chiefs are going to lose this division. I have a hard time believing that. As long as 15 is the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, I always think they'll have a fighting chance of winning this division. I know the Broncos are going to be better. The Raiders are going to be better. The Chargers are going to be better. Like The Chargers, talent-wise, are the best team in this division. 
But the problem is, since it's the Chargers, can they ever get out of their own way? If they can, they can win this division. But it's the Chargers. They go for it on fourth down all the time, whether it's the right or wrong decision at the time. And yeah, it has hurt them in the past, but I do think they are the biggest threat to the Chiefs. I think Justin Herbert should have an insane year this year. And he was insane last year. I think he should have an even more insane year this year. We got NFC West. We got the Rams at 12-5, and five, as we said before. The 49ers at 10-7. and seven. Cardinals 7-10. and 10. And the Seahawks 5-12. and 12. I think the Seahawks record is not far off, but the Cardinals at 7-10 and, and 10. feels mean. This feels mean. People are making fun of Kyler Murray. He got on Twitter. He's uh, like, man, whoever said, like, you're making fun of me for not watching film that you don't know what you're talking about that's hurtful or whatever, stuff like that. It's like, dude, again, you have that clause in your contract for a reason. It's not random. They shouldn't be forcing you to watch film. That should just be part of your job. You shouldn't have a clause in your contract that states you have to watch four hours of film if you don't watch film. He clearly doesn't. Otherwise, this contract clause would not be in there. He can say whatever he wants about it, about people coming after him or thinking that's stupid, that people would think that. Kyler, his attitude has never really been something that, yeah, he probably watches. He's probably a film buff. He sits down in the film room all the time, probably first person in, last person out type thing. I don't really get that kind of vibe from Kyler. I really don't. I think Kyler's an ad-libber. I think Kyler thinks a lot of himself, which is not a bad thing. You need to think of yourself as an NFL quarterback. He knows he's valued to the Cardinals because without him, Cliff Kingsbury don't have a job. Because remember, Cliff Kingsbury's only in the job because they had a shot at Kyler Murray. Like Cliff Kingsbury got fired from Texas Tech, was going to take the USC offensive coordinator job, and then got offered the Cardinals head coaching job, got fired from a college job, and took an NFL head coaching job weeks apart. That is insane to me. That never has happened before. If it has, wow, I've, I've never heard of that before. But crazy. Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury need Kyler Murray to work out. Steve Kime has drafted, drafted two quarterbacks with top 10 picks. Traded up for one of them. Gave up a lot to get Josh Rosen. Traded him after a year and drafted Kyler Murray first overall. These guys need Kyler Murray more than he needs them. So they know, he he knows he's going to get a lot of money for him. Does he deserve to be the second highest paid quarterback in the NFL? No. But the Cardinals value him that highly to make him the second highest quarterback in the NFL. I do think it's hilarious that he has that clause in his contract. And I do also think it's hilarious he came out and defended it. Because 99% of people would come out and defend that. Like, you got people think you're stupid or people think you're lazy for not doing that or having that clause in your contract, regardless if you watch film or not. But I do think it's funny. I do think it's kind of hilarious. But Kyler has a right to be upset about people making fun of him for that. Then we have the 49ers at 10-7. Yeah, I think they'll be better. You got Trey Lance. Trey Lance is a more naturally talented quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo. That's just how it works. And the Rams, yeah, they just won the Super Bowl. They have a stacked roster. They'll be ba- They'll be good again. NFC North, this one is very interesting. Very interesting. The Packers at 11-6, not the interesting part. It's the Lions in second place at 8-9. Now, we've talked about the Lions before, about how this team covered every game. They covered more games than they lost. Their record against the spread was well above 500. They were like 11-6 last year against the spread. And it goes with the old saying. Good teams win, great teams cover. And that's what the Lions did. But do I think the Lions are going to jump from a two-win team or however many games they won last year 
all the way up to an eight-win team. I'm not really sure. I think the Vikings record roster is too talented to finish joint with the Lions. I think the Vikings have to finish above 500. I get their secondary is not very good. They did draft Andrew Booth and Lewis Seen this past year, so that's an improvement. But Justin Jefferson's there. The O-line's not... Okay, it's bad, but it's not atrocious. You got Dalvin Cook there. Irv Smith should be good this year. Adam Thielen's still there. If Daniil Hunter can stay healthy, Zadarius Smith can stay healthy. Like, this team, they got a good linebacking core. Still Harrison Smith's there. Like, Patrick Peterson's still there. I have a hard time thinking they're going to finish joint with the Lions. I could be completely wrong. Maybe they're a terrible team this year. But you can't really get as frustrating as they were last year. I think if Vikings went 8-9 and this year, I think their fans would lose their mind. More than they already have. More than they already have. Because this roster is too talented to go under 500. They should at least go 9-8 and this year. Do I think the Lions will be better than what they were last year? Yes, I do. Do I think the Bears are going to be good at all? No. The Bears at 4-13 and I don't think is too far off. I think the Bears are going to be bad. Like, I feel really bad for Justin Fields. He's got no off to line and really no weapon. Like, Darnell Mooney's nice, but all the other receivers they have on this roster. Like, let me pull this up real quick. Their receiving core is not Darnell Mooney, Byron Pringle, Velas Jones, who's very, very fast. We got Nikhil Harry. Daz Newsome they drafted, drafted last year. Tajay Sharp. Equinomius St. Brown. Dante Pettis, who I didn't even know was still in the league. Or no, this is a different one. This is a different one. But still, 2018. I completely forgot about him. Then we got David Moore, Nasimbo Wester, Isaiah Coulter, and Chris Finke. Or Chris Fink, however you say his name. Like this, they have no weapons. O-line ain't very good either. See if Tevin Jenkins is better this year. Second-round pick from Oklahoma State. Battled some injuries before the season started last year. But I feel bad for I feel bad for Justin Fields. He's going to get killed. He's going to get killed. Hopefully they have established a decent running game with David Montgomery. But, man, he's going to get hurt. He's going to get hurt a lot. <laughs> he's going to get beat up. And Trevor, Trevor Simeon and Nathan Peterman are his backups. So if Justin Fields gets hurt, it's downhill from there. NFC South, we got the Bucks 13 and 4, Saints 9 and 8, Panthers 7 and 10, Falcons 2 and 15. I don't think that's far off. I don't think that's too far off. Falcons at 2 and 15 might be a little mean, but they really have nobody. They have Derek, they have Drake London, Kyle Pitts, and it's really bad on offense when you say Cordero Patterson's probably the third best player on offense. You got obviously got AJ Terrell on defense. Who else did they draft? They got Arnold Ebiketti from Penn State, who I like. They got another edge rush. D'Angelo Malone, they get him. My ESPN froze. Now I can't look at it, which is really convenient. Hold on. I'm trying to get this thing loaded up because I don't I think they drafted D'Angelo Malone from Western Michigan Western Kentucky. I do like D'Angelo Malone. Had a really good senior bowl. Yeah, okay. They drafted D'Angelo Malone this year. They drafted a freaking who'd we just say? Arnold Ebiketti. They got Troy Anderson from Montana State, could do pretty much everything. So if Mariota, Ritter, Felipe Franks get hurt. Troy Anderson can come in and play quarterback. Their O-line still reeks, which is sad because most of their starters in the offensive line are first-round draft picks, wasted first-round draft picks at this point. Their wide receivers, apart from Drake London, not a lot. We got Geronimo Allison there. Remember him from the Packers? Then we got Brian Edwards, who was a third-round pick from the Raiders, who they really liked, and now he's on the Falcons, so 
wasn't as good as what they were thinking he would be. Auden Tate's there. Uh, Olamadi Zacchaeus is there, who I believe was the leading receiver for the Falcons last year. They got Damian Williamson, who used to play for the Chiefs. I believe he won a Super Bowl with the Chiefs. They drafted Tyler, Tyler Allgaier from BYU, who I think would I think will fit what Arthur Smith does on offense. I think when you start putting in him and Ritter, the young backfield, I think Mariota fits what he does well too, but Allgaier's a big dude. Consistent running back as well. Doesn't do anything particularly special, but is very consistent. But again, their O-line stinks. O-line is terrible. Their defense is not anything to sn- it's not anything to brag about either, apart from the rookies like Grady Jarrett and AJ Terrell. They brought in Casey Hayward this offseason. Dean Marlowe's there. Who else do they even have? Am I being mean? I mean, Young Way Koo's one of their best players. He's their kicker. We're talking about like 2009-8 Raiders vibes with Janikowski and Shane Leckler were the two best players on the team. You brought in Rashad Evans from the Tennessee Titans. He hadn't done anything since he's been in the league to this point. So, yeah, I don't I I have a hard time predicting teams to win two games or less. Like I had the Fal- the Texans winning no games last year. Zero games. They ended up winning what? 4. Like, that was shocking to me. They're going to win projected three this year, but the Falcons just feels wrong to have them win two games. The Falcons haven't been bad, bad in a very long time. At least, like, before, in between Matt Ryan and uh, Vic, the Bobby Petrino, quote-unquote, era that lasted 13 games before he left for Arkansas in the greatest way possible. But, Unsurprisingly, the two and fifteen Falcons are projected to be the worst team in football. You can't get really much worse than two and fifteen. I mean, you can't win one game, you can't win no games. But I don't think we'll have that this year in the NFC East. I'm not too upset with this. The Eagles at first with eleven and six record, Cowboys at ten and seven, Washington at seven and ten, and the Giants at five and twelve. I'm not too upset with that. I'm not too upset with that. I know a lot of people were upset with the Washington Commanders last year because they did not reach expectations, but their D-line was riddled with injuries, and they had Taylor Heineke at quarterback. So it was kind of a more fun than substance type thing last year. I think we might get something similar this year because Carson Wentz, Mr. Inconsistent at this point in his career. Now they do have some decent players. They have Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick is back after opting out of his contract in Buffalo and then going back to Washington. They have Terry McLaurin there, Logan Thomas. We obviously go about the D-line where you got – Jonathan Allen, Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Deron Payne. Like they got they got some good players on the defensive line. Now, who was the linebacker they drafted last? Jamin Davis didn't really do a whole lot last year, so they're kind of hoping that he discovers his potential. Dude is freaking ripped. So, like, if we're talking about athletic standpoint, Jamin Davis might be the most athletic person, one of the most athletic people in the entire league. And then who else did they got this offseason? They brought Kendall Fuller back. Wait. He's they re-signed him, right? Hold on. Oh, never mind. I'm I'm stupid. I'm stupid. I was thinking Kyle Fuller. They got him from the Chiefs. Kendall Fuller from the Chiefs and the the uh, Alex Smith trade. And then you got Troy Ackby, the only white corner in the NFL. It's hold strong. Let's keep stay in the league for a little while longer. We got Fedarian Mathis coming in. They just drafted him from Alabama. They did lose Brandon Scherf, but they brought in Andrew Norwell. So we'll see how that one goes. They got Chris Paul from, I believe, Wake Forest. Tulsa, 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 Tulsa. Gold helmets, you know, it mixes all together. But, yeah, this team is they, – oh, they brought in Jahan Dotson. Forgot about that. They got Curtis Samuel there as well. Diami Brown is there. 
Brian Robinson, they drafted him from Alabama, so we'll see how he does. They brought in Cole Kelly from Southeastern State or Southeastern Louisiana, I believe was the college. Southeastern Louisiana, yeah, big dude, six foot seven, two hundred fifty pounds, monster. They also drafted Sam Howell in the fifth round, which was really weird to see Sam Howell drop that far. It was really weird to see Sam Howell drop that far. But the Washington Commanders at seven and ten, Giants at five and twelve. Daniel Jones, I mean, I've said this before. I think Daniel Jones has the tools to be a decent quarterback in the NFL. I just don't know if he can ever put it all together. But that's why they brought in Brian Dable. You saw what he did down in Buffalo. They're kind of hoping he can rectify that in New Jersey with the Giants. Now, do the Giants have a lot of players to brag about? Not really. I mean, they drafted Devin Neal. They drafted Kayvon Thibodeau in the first round this year. Two nice players right there. But, man, they just need to hope and pray Saquon Barkley stays healthy. That's the main goal here. They need to hope that that dude stays healthy because they have no semblance of a running game without him. And a lot of people at this point are tar- starting to say that he's a bust or is he a potential bust because he, he can't stay healthy. And I have a hard time saying players are busts when they're battling injuries. I have a really hard time believing that. I don't think he's a bust at this point in time. They brought in Matt Breida as well. They got Tyra Taylor to back up Daniel Jones. They also brought in Davis Webb as a, I don't know, mentor type thing because he worked with Brian Dable in Buffalo and him and Josh Allen had a great relationship. But Tyrod's the backup, and I mean, I we're going to see Tyrod at some point because either Dale and Jones is going to get hurt or he's just going to get benched. They overdrafted to seemingly overdrafted Wondell Robinson. I do like Wondell Robinson. They were worried about Kadarius Tony leaving, so they drafted a guy that's got a fairly similar skill set to Kadarius Tony and Wondell Robinson, who I like. I like both of them, so I'm not going to bash the player too much. But again, Evan Neal's there. Going to move him to right. He's going to play right tackle. They got Andrew Thomas at left tackle. Who else they got on this team? Still got Leonard Williams, Dexter Dexter Lawrence there. Who else they draft? They got Thibodeau there. I feel like they drafted someone else. They got um, I not recognize Dane Belton from Iowa. So they drafted him free safety. Drafted him in the fourth round this year. So we'll see how he does this year. Hopefully, well because Iowa secondary pieces usually tend to do well in the NFL. Usually, they had success with Tyler Sash for a little bit. R.I.P. Tyler Sash had some sex with him. Success with him as a special teams piece, but yeah, the Giants are... It's going to be a rough first year. This might be Daniel Jones' last chance as the starting quarterback in in New Jersey. Joe Shane, Brian Dable have no previous connection with Daniel Jones. So, might be looking to move on after this season. The Cowboys, yeah, the Eagles I just think are going to be better. I mean, you bring out A.J. Brown, you got a really good offensive line. Defense is still consistent. Brought Son Reddick in, so... Yeah, I just like I think the Eagles are just gonna pit the Cowboys for first place in this division. I think this might be how the NFC East finishes up. I that might be the most accurate division in my as I sit here right now out of this whole thing. The most inaccurate division, I don't know. Maybe the NFC North, just because I don't know if the Lions can, are gonna win eight games. That's my only somewhat critique of this like thing. It's not too egregious. I'm not really sitting here and saying anything is really out of line. Do I think the Lions are a game better than the Cardinals? Not really. Not really. Browns at 6-11 and 11 might be a little harsh, but I do think, again, there's going to be some trials and tribulations with the Browns with all the offseason issues that they've had with Sean Watson and the quarterback thing and all that stuff. So there's going to be some tough periods for the Cleveland Browns this year because we don't know who their starting quarterback is going to be when they play Baker. 
They're paying him like $500,000 to play against them this year when he's on the Panthers just to get him off their freaking books or off their roster. He's, he's making too much of a scene. He's making too much of a scene, which I think I wish he made more of a scene than what he did. Man, I, I, I wish Baker Mayfield really got really petty and just showed up and just walked around the building like, like, <laughs> like showed up to OTAs and everything. Oh, that would have been so funny. I would have been 100% for that. But we tra- backtracking a tiny, tiny bit, a tiny, tiny bit, we are going to go over. So I brought up Saquon Barkley. I think this is a good segue because it's Top 5 Friday. And today I was sitting around in the office and I was like, what should I think of for Top 5 Friday? What should I come up with? I was like, well, we could just go down position groups. So I was like, well, we went quarterbacks last week. We're going to go running backs this week. But instead of doing all-time like we did last week, I'm going to do running backs of my lifetime. So that's 24 years. And there are some running backs that were on the backhand of their careers at that point, but their careers are legendary. Like Emmett Smith was playing technically when I was alive. He was on the Arizona Cardinals. Emmett Smith's the all-time leading rusher in the NFL. He will not appear on this list. Because, yes, he was in my top five running backs of all time. We listed the top five running backs of all time a couple days ago. But he's not going to be on this one. He was not anything at this point of his career when he was on the Cardinals. It was all money grab. The Cardinals needed people to come to the stadium. Emmett Smith was a three-time Super Bowl champ with the, with the Dallas Cowboys, part of the triplets, like very popular player, all-time leading rusher, like all that kind of stuff. He was going to put put asses in the seats for a better lack of a better term. He didn't do anything there. He was He was really bad. He was really, really bad. But here are some of the top five running backs of my lifetime. And I also thought about football play, football brains I'd love to pick at just because I want to know what's up with them. I'm just going to go through those real quick, I guess. we got Belichick, Mike Leach, Urban Meyer, Bobby Petrino, and Dan Campbell. I think those are just five interesting coaches to, to, to talk to. Like Mike Leach said nine words at SEC Media Day. Nine words. Nine. <laughs> that is a, that's a lot of words for Mike Leach. But the top five running backs of my lifetime, and there's some in here that you might not agree with. Maybe you think someone's better than the other one, or maybe you think, Logan, why didn't you mention this person? Now, this is my opinion, and everybody's got their favorite players. And I know one player in particular is going to upset a couple people that are listening to this show for not being on this list. But at number five, I'm going to have Curtis Martin. Curtis Martin was on the Jets. And the Patriots. He's on the Patriots for a little bit. He started his career with the Patriots, third-round draft pick from Pittsburgh. This dude's just Mr. Consistent. Like, every single year of his career, apart from his last two seasons, which his last season didn't play due to injury before he retired, and the season before that, he played 12 games. Every single year of his career, apart from two, he had over 1,000 yards. His rookie year till his, what, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10th year in the league. 1 through 10, he had 1,000 yards each year. He had over 10 touchdowns four times during that span. He had 14 touchdowns in his first two seasons of his career, so 28 total. Then he had 10 in 20, 2001, and then he had 12 in 2014. And the crazy thing is, dude went a few years of his career without fumbling one time, losing a fumble. And he went through 2002 on 261 carries with zero fumbles in general. Didn't lose any and didn't drop anything. He just Mr. Consistent. He had 1,400, 1,100, 1,100, 1,200, 1,400, 1,500, then 1,000, 1,300, then 1,697, damn near 1,700 yards with the most attempts he had in his career at 371 
But yeah, Curtis Martin was that guy. He played for the Jets and Patriots, so I shouldn't really like him, but playing for those Jets teams where they just were up and down the entire time where it looked like they could be a good team, and then the next year they would be back to Jetsdom, you know, the area of where not being very good. I think that's where we kind of understand Jetsdom being. But Curtis Martin was was that guy. Curtis Martin was that dude for the New, the New York Jets. And for the Patriots, really. Like, he had back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, which had 28 touchdowns over two years, rushing touchdowns. Like, dude was awesome. Number four on this list, I have been calling for this dude to get in the Hall of Fame forever, and I'm super happy he did, and that's Edron James. Edron James did one of the most impossible things. When you're replacing a Hall of Fame running back, that can be hard to do. It's hard to replace a Hall of Famer in general. Dude replaced Marshall Falk in Indianapolis, where and was drafted before reigning Heisman Trophy winner Ricky Williams. So expectations were, you're replacing Marshall Falk, and you got drafted above the dude that everybody out there said was the best running back in the draft. And for a couple years, Ricky Williams was that guy. He was. NFL Street. If you played that growing up, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But Edron James is awesome. Edron James, 12,000-yard rusher. He had back-to-back years, two first years in the league, 26 total touchdowns rushing the ball, or 26 rushing touchdowns. He had nine receiving touchdowns through his first two years. Had 1,700 yards rushing his second year in the league, 1,500 yards his first year in the league. This is for the Indianapolis Colts with Peyton Manning. This was not necessarily a running team, and dude almost had 1,800, rushed for over 1,700 yards while also having almost 600 receiving yards in both of his first two seasons in the league. Had 594 and 586 yards in his first two years in the league receiving. Like this dude did everything for the Indianapolis Colts when he first started off. Then he bowed some injuries, but then came back and was right back where he started. He missed a few games in 2001, missed a few games in 2002, and then came back, rushed for almost 1,300 yards in 2003, 1,500-1,500 back-to-back seasons where he had 13 touchdowns in 2005 for his last year with the Colts, then played for the Cardinals and had back-to-back almost 1,200-yard seasons there. And then slowly started to fade out in the NFL 2008-2009 his career ended. Became less and less of a threat in the receiving game as his career went on. But for that period, Edron James was awesome. Edron James, the dreads, everything about Edron James was sweet. And I think most people liked the Indianapolis Colts to some extent that year, those years. Like Peyton Manning, everybody had something good about Peyton Manning growing up. I don't think there's a lot of people out there that really dislike Peyton Manning. It's kind of hard to. Dude was awesome. And having a guy like Edron James and Peyton Manning vouching for him, and I know, like we talked about the wide receiver thing, but Edron James, look at the numbers. Edge was that guy. And there was two things that were going against him. Getting dragged before Ricky Williams and replacing Marshall Falk. Two things that were not seen possible that he could do, and he became the Colts' all-time leading rusher, had the most rushing touchdowns in Colts history, most yards per game, and most seasons with 1,000 yards rushing. Franchise records at the time. Or still, no, franchise records currently. First-team All-Pro, two-time second-team All-Pro, two-time NFL rushing leader in his first two years in the league. Craziness. Absolute crazy. 2000s all-decade team. Like, dude was freaking awesome. He balled out Miami as well. Like, that was when Miami was crapping people in the NFL. Like, they, Edron James was one of those other people. 10,000-yard club rushed for over 12,000 yards his career. I love Edron James. I love Edward James. Number three on this list is the guy that he replaced in freaking Indianapolis, and that's Marshall Falk. Before Chris Johnson came along, 
Marshall Falk had the NFL record for most all-purpose yards in the season and won an MVP. Was arguably the main cog in the greatest show on turf. Arguably the main cog in the greatest show on turf. But when he got to Indianapolis, Indy was not a place for winning. He did very little winning in his time in Indianapolis. Very little. Like, they won some games, but they were not a good team. They were not traditionally a good team when he got there. And he put up 4,000-yard season in Indianapolis. Had one season where he had under 600 yards rushing, but he was hurt. Played only 13 games. And you look at his last year in Indianapolis, 1,300 yards rushing, 908 yards receiving. It was kind of a sign of things to come when he was playing there. And he goes to the Rams, averages almost over five yards a carry three straight years. And a team with the gray show on turf was seen as a pass-first team with Kurt Warner, Isaac Bruce, Torrey Holt, all those guys. Prohl at, at wide as well. Like that, Marshall Falk was that guy. He had 18 touchdowns rushing in 2000. 18. Led the league. He had eight more touchdowns receiving. In his first year with the Rams, had 1,300 yards rushing with seven touchdowns and 1,000 yards receiving and five touchdowns. At the time, was the NFL record for all-purpose yards, and that was his first year in the St. Louis. Then his next year, he comes back, 1,300 yards, 830 yards receiving, five touchdowns, eight touchdowns. The only reason he didn't win MVP in, 2000, in 1999 because Kurt Warner won it because Kurt Warner broke every single passing record for a first-year starter at the time. And then 2001, 1,300 yards, 12 touchdowns there as well, nine touchdowns receiving. Consistent threat in the receiving game as well in the run game. And then after 2001, things kind of started going down a little bit. Still 12,000-yard 12, yard rushing club. But Marshall Falk, over 100, 100 rushing touchdowns in his career. Three straight years averaging over five yards a carry. 5.5, 5.4, and 5.3 yards a carry. Three straight seasons of 13-yard yards rushing with the gray show on turf. Multiple seasons of receiving over 500 yards. Like, that's ridiculous. Marshall Falk... Was that guy on the cover of Madden 03? Computer game. My first Madden that I ever had on the Windows 98 computer. Now, for those of you listening right now, I think we all know or knew going in who the top two guys were. It's Adrian Peterson and LaDainian Tomlinson. We all knew this going in. And if you listen to Wednesday's show, we already kind of spoiled this for you. But Adrian Peterson is number two. And I don't, I'm not sitting here and saying, and I know what, I can get kind of like this sounding wise. I don't want to make it sound like I dislike Adrian Peterson. I used to have an Adrian Peterson poster on my wall in my room. So I really have no issues with Adrian Peterson. But being from Iowa, being from the Midwest, traditionally we saw a lot of Adrian Peterson. We saw a lot of them. They were on Fox almost every single weekend, the Minnesota Vikings. And Adrian Peterson had a couple really, really insane seasons. His 2,000 yards rushing in 2012, like six months off of ACL injury, one of the greatest seasons I've ever watched. Like, it was insane. He was nine yards off the record for all-time rushes, rushing yards in NFL history for a season, almost breaking Eric Dickerson's record. And they pulled him out. They carried him out the field. They could have gotten the record right there. But they pulled him out the field, gave him a standing ovation, all that stuff. But his first, like, few years in the league, 1,300 yards, 1,700 yards, 1,300 yards, 18 touchdowns in 2009 running the ball, 2015 at 1,400 yards. He has 14,000, over four, almost 15,000 rushing yards in his career. Over 120 touchdowns rushing the ball in his career. Fumbled a lot, though. <laughs> fumbled, fumbled a lot. Fumbled nine times in his first year, second year in Minnesota. Nine times. And then we, <laughs> it, it was a struggle holding on to the football for a little bit. Lost two fumbles in 2009. Very costly fumbles against the New Orleans Saints. 
But yeah, Adrian Peterson is number two on this list. Number one is LaDainian Tomlinson. LaDainian Tomlinson, uh, since we already talked about the top five running backs of all time, regardless of era and stuff like that, I don't think LaDainian Tomlinson gets as much love as what he deserves. Like, literally, we had that whole thing about the guy saying that Zach Evans was a better running back at TCU than LaDainian Tomlinson. Like, why are we having that conversation? There's no reason, like, we should have that conversation whatsoever. It's ridiculous to even think about that. I think if we're talking about complete backs in NFL history and consistent backs in NFL history, I think LaDainian Tomlinson has to be that guy. Like, there were multiple years where dude never fumbled. In the span of three or four years. No, okay. Minus his first year in the league. Minus his first year in the league in 2001. LT never lost more than two fumbles in his career. In his career, second year he lost one. Third year he lost none. Fourth year he lost two. Then one, one, zero, zero, two, zero, zero. He lost one fumble when he won MVP in 2006. I don't think people talk about LaDainian Tomlinson enough or give enough of his flowers because this dude, I think, is unquestionably the greatest running back of my lifetime. I, I appreciate Adrian Peterson. I appreciate Marshall Falk. But I don't think they were as complete as LaDainian. Like, LaDainian Tomlinson, just until, what was it, last year, Taysom Hill had less passing yards than him. Like, LaDainian Tomlinson, for a stretch, was the guy in the end of, he was throwing touchdowns he was like his wikipedia page has rushing receiving and passing stats Lanny Tomlinson has seven passing touchdowns in his career in his career at this point or had he's not he's not coming back anytime soon it's seven passing touchdowns in the playoffs he fumbled twice lost none of them never lost a fumble in the playoffs and when he won the mvp in 2006 they took the ball out of his hands in the second half and that's why they lost to the patriots they were feeding him like crazy in the first half. They were dominating the game, and then they took the ball out of his hands. Finished with 123 yards rushing and 64 yards receiving. Second half, his touches went down immensely. All those numbers pretty much came in the first half. Two touchdowns rushing the ball in that game as well. Like, in regards to running, catching, passing, blocking, I know that Danian Tomlinson's that guy. And no off-the-field issues, as the past two guys can't really say, Adrian Peterson and Marshall Falk. And I know I'm biased because Daniel Thomas is my favorite player of all time. But you just look at the numbers. Look at what he did. NFL record 28 touchdowns. Dude had 31 touchdowns in one season, rushing and receiving. The guy last year that led the league in touchdowns at 18. We added an extra game, and he still had 10 less touchdowns than what Daniel Thomas had, had in 16 games in 2006. We, again, we talk about unbreakable records. Does that record ever get 28 touchdowns, 31 in total in a season? Does that ever get touched? Dude averaged 9.1 yards per reception in 2006. Over five yards of carry, 1,800 yards, 28 touchdowns rushing the ball, NFL record. They added an extra game, and dude's still 10 touchdowns away. And they had big backs on this team. Like, it wasn't just LaDainian Tomlinson. They could have handed the ball off. To other people, so people want to go, oh, they feed them. They're just feeding them touchdowns. Dude, still average. Five. Like, it's not just feeding him touchdowns. Darren Sproles and Michael Turner and Lorenzo Neal were all on this roster in 2006. Like, they had other running backs that were all very good in the NFL. Michael Turner was a multi-thousand-yard rusher in Atlanta. 
Baron Sproles is one of the greatest all-purpose backs in NFL history. Lorenzo Neal is one of the greatest fullbacks of all time. Like, they had other options. They had Malcolm Floyd, Vincent Jackson, Keenan McCardell, Kasim Osgood, out wide, Antonio Gates, Brandon Maniayula, Mani Ami, I used to be able to say this, Manu Maliuna. I used to be able to say that flawlessly. Phil, young Phillip Rivers at quarterback. Like, LaDainian Thomas has been on record and said this, if they had Drew Brees on this roster, because this was Phillip Rivers' first year starting, they would have won the Super Bowl. Because of Phillip Rivers' lack of experience in the playoffs at that time, if they had someone like Drew Brees who had been there before, he thinks they would have won. But, again, Drew Brees had the shoulder injury, and the Chargers moved on the field. They drafted him fourth over. They drafted Eli Manning and then traded him for Phillip Rivers. But, yeah, those are my top five running backs of all time. For my, I get my lifetime. Repeat, that's LaDainian Tomlinson, Adrian Peterson, Marshall Falk, Edron James, and, a, and uh, Curtis Barton. But honorable mentions, I don't want to forget these people. I only listed five. But honorable mentions go to Sean Alexander. He was awesome for a few years in, in, uh, in Seattle. It was the cover of Madden. I don't remember what. He had some insane numbers as well. for like Not, not a very long time, but he put up some really nice numbers for a little bit. Yeah, 27 rushing touchdowns, 2005. It was a shame the next year LT had 28. <laughs> but for those years, Sean Alexander was awesome. I don't want to take anything away from Sean Alexander. I just think the consistency with Jay, Edron James, Curtis Martin, those guys, those two you could argue with me. Curtis Martin you could argue Sean Alexander with. I don't think the other four you can argue with me. But Sean Alexander, Curtis Martin you could argue with me. Frank Gore, and he's top three leading rusher in NFL history. So I think you just have to mention on there, Mr. Consistent as well. Uh, then we got Marshawn Lynch. I mean, he transformed the Seahawks offense. He was on the Bills for a little bit. Completely transformed the Seahawks. Was the face of the franchise in Seattle. Helped carry them. Was the soul of the franchise. Helped them go to the Super Bowl. Win a Super Bowl. Should have gotten another Super Bowl if they just handed the ball off to him. Like, Marshawn Lynch has to get mentioned. I think LaShawn McCoy has to get mentioned as well. Shady McCoy, cut on a dime. Like, dude was, for how he carried the football, just swinging it all over the place, I am surprised the dude never fumbled. Like, he rarely fumbled for how he carried the football. And I loved him at Pitt. Like, LaShawn McCoy was awesome at Pitt. He was awesome in Philly and was awesome in Buffalo. And the Bills fleeced the Eagles, who traded Kiko Alonso, who was kind of like a cult hero at the time in Buffalo, but traded him for LaShawn McCoy straight up. I take Shady McCoy all day over that. And then Chris Johnson. I mean, CJ2K. Who, forget, who will ever forget those debates between Adrian Peterson and Chris Johnson in middle school? Like, CJ2K was awesome. All-time record for a season, yards, total yards in a season. NFL record. Chris Johnson was that guy. Held the combine record for 40-yard dash for years until John Ross came around. Came around. But Chris Johnson was that guy. And I, I also have to mention players. I mean, I guess I should mention more because there was a lot of really good running backs in my lifetime. Fred Taylor, as we mentioned. Fred Taylor was awesome in Jacksonville. We brought him up earlier. We're talking about Tony Baselli. I think Maurice Jones-Drew, another Jaguars guy, is getting mentioned up there a little bit. Clinton Portis was awesome for the Redskins and the Broncos for a little bit. Massive neck. That's what I remember Clinton Portis most for is how big his neck was. Priest Holmes for the Chiefs had a little had a few years. We have Jamal Lewis. I forget. A, um, Jerome Bettis was awesome for a little bit. like Or a little bit. Jerome Bettis is over 12,000 yards. So like, there's a lot of really good running backs in my lifetime. A lot of them. But those, I think, are the top five running backs of my life if you don't if you don't agree with that I'm sorry you're gonna have your own list with that but that's how I see it yeah you can like you, you can like it or not all right now moving moving gears moving gears a little bit we're going from one football 
Do I have everything done when I want to talk about that? With the American football? I think I got everything done. Yeah, yeah. Regardless, if we don't have everything done, we'll come back to it at some point. But again, the Premier League. So we got the, the, the Hall of Fame game taking place next Thursday. We got the first game of the Premier League taking place next Friday. It's between Arsenal and Crystal Palace, I believe. But there's a, there's we got some interesting things in the front. I don't even want to start off with the Premier League first. I got something that involves a Premier League team to a certain extent, or two of them to a certain extent, Chelsea and Manchester United. It's around Barcelona. I do not know what the hell is going on with this team. Like, I, I can't explain anything that's going on with Barcelona, even if I tried. Barcelona is 1.3 billion euros in debt. 1.3, with a B, billion euros in debt. And they're still spending massive amounts of money on players. I don't know how they're doing it. I don't, I don't know how they're buying players. I really don't understand it. Like, you look at the players they have on the, they, they've gotten this offseason. Frank Kessier from AC Milan, Ivory Coast International. Robert Lewandowski, one of the best strikers on the planet, should have won the Ballon d'Or a few years ago. Left Bayern Munich. Rafinha just left Leeds United. Andreas Christensen from Chelsea. And then they just brought in Jules Koundé. And they're also trying to get the likes of apparently Marcus Alonso and freaking uh, Cesar Azpilicueta. And they've also been linked with Wesley Fofana. How are they buying all these people? And the crazy thing about this is with Barcelona, so Manchester United, for those of you who are unaware, have been linked with, and aren't not really linked, they're going to get Frankie de Jong at some point. Frankie de Jong has agreed with Manchester United. The fee has been agreed, but Frankie de Jong is not leaving Barcelona, not because he doesn't want to join Manchester United, because dude is owned 17 million in wages. Because Barcelona were in these financial situations like a year ago, like two years ago when Messi left. Like when Messi, his last press con or his last saying, because every time they win La Liga or a trophy, they have a big thing at Camp Nou. It's just a thing, you know, over in, uh, in Europe. And he's like, when we look back, we'll appreciate this title more and more. And I didn't know how right he'd be because Barcelona are a freaking shite show right now. Like, Frankie de Jong, when they went through all this last year, took a back cut on his wages so they could stay, you know, alive and afford to pay the players. They have registration fees for players. Like, they couldn't register any of the players they signed last year unless many of their players took pay cuts. And Frankie de Jong, if he leaves, cannot get his $17 million that he is owed by Barcelona. And if they he doesn't leave, Barcelona can't buy any of their new players or can't pay the registration fees for them. So they're caught in a situation where Barcelona does not want to keep Frankie de Jong. But Frankie de Jong ain't leaving because he's owed $17 million in wages. Wages, whatever, dollars, euros, I don't know exactly what it is for $17 million, but he's owed a lot of money, and he's not going to leave. Because if he leaves, they're not going to give it to him because he doesn't play for them anymore. That's $17 million. Not $17. Not a million dollars. $17 million. That's a lot of money. And I get a lot of people out there are like, oh, he's a professional soccer player. He should be happy with whatever money he gets. Yeah, but still, when you're you take a pay cut to make sure the club can stay alive, you're gonna expect that money at some point. Regardless of how much you're making pre before that, you're still gonna want to get paid. 
if you're a top player in the world like Frankie De Jong is, you deserve you're wanting your 17 million that he agreed on. So he's not going to leave until he gets that. And they're talking about playing him at center back. They played him at goal like there. He is going to leave for Manchester United at some point. I don't know when that happens, but he will be a Manchester United player at some point this offseason. Before the transfer window closes, he will be a player for Manchester United. Like you look at the past two players Manchester United signed. Christian Eriksen and Lissandra Martinez. Both players wore number 21 at their last club. 21 is open. Lissandra Martinez took number 6. Christian Eriksen took number 14. Frankie de Jong wears number 21 because of his grandfather. It's a special number to him. So he wants number 21 wherever he goes. He wears it for the Dutch national team. He wore it for Ajax. He wears it for Barcelona. He's going to win at Manchester United. Two players that just wore 21 last year. And it is available, and both of them chose different numbers. He will be a Manchester United player at some point. If he's not, I'd be completely shocked. And Fernand Torres, who's a winger striker for Barcelona, has put FT21 in his bio. He wore number 21 at Manchester City. He's worn number 21 for the Spain national team. He's going to wear number 21 Frankie de Jong leaves. And then Barcelona have another situation where Memphis Depay is going to have to leave at some point. They brought in... Uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, they brought in Robert Lewandowski, which Memphis Depay is no slouch of a forward. I don't know why they've bat- like killed him off like this. It's kind of weird, but hey, Robert Lewandowski is one of the best players on the planet, so you're going to want him. But you're going to have to sell him too. So Manchester United have been linked with a move back from Memphis Depay, which I would be fine with if it's with for a, a modest fee. Because I liked Memphis Depay when he first signed for Manchester United. The free kicks, all the stuff with PSV. It was really exciting. He had moments like against Midgetland. Was awesome. Tore their right back a new asshole. Was awesome. But it didn't end up working out. Bringing in Anthony Martial did not help Memphis Depay. Because he played the exact same position as Memphis Depay. So he was kind of shunted out of the team. But Barcelona are a freaking mess. And I don't know how this is allowed to happen. I do not understand how any of this is still going on. 1.3 billion euros in debt. And they're still signing players. Rafinha, Lewandowski, Frank Kessier. They just signed Jules Koundé. They've, they've got no money. They've got no money for registration fees, let alone buying players. And they still owe players that are currently on their roster wages that took a pay cut last year. And they're still buying players. So yes, when you look back in time and you see that championship they won a few years ago, it's looked at a lot better than what it is right now. It's crazy. I do not understand how Barcelona works. And Chelsea, every time they're linked with a player, it's like Barcelona takes them two seconds later. Like they're linked with two of their players right now. And Marcus Alonso and Cesar Azpilicueta that we just mentioned. I don't know how they're doing it. I really don't understand how they're po- how this is possible. I don't understand how this is working. But it, it's Barcelona, so it's working, I guess. I guess because they run by a different set of rules because they're one of the biggest clubs in the world. One, If not the biggest club in the world, nah, it's, it's Real Madrid. But one of the biggest clubs in the world, they had the greatest player of all time played for them. They've had numerous other legends. Their, number, their history through the number nine jersey is freaking ridiculous. They've had legendary players, legendary moments. So that's what they're running off of because this team does not deserve to be alive right now. One point, I, I cannot wrap my head around this number. 1.3 billion euros in debt, and they've signed five players. And yet still owe one of their players 17 million. Like, that, that makes no sense to me. 
But with Frankie de Jong rumored to come to Manchester United, who need mid midfield reinforcements because they lost the likes of Paul Pogba, went to Juventus, who's going to be out for a little bit with a knee injury. Nemanja Matic, who just went to Roma. Jesse Lingard went to Nottingham Forest. James Gardner's probably going to go back on loan to Nottingham Forest. We'll have to wait and see on that. But their midfield options right now for starters, Fred looks to be a guaranteed starter at this point. At this point in time. And then it's a matter of Scott McTominay or Donny Van de Beek next to him. Now, Donny Van de Beek can kind of play pretty much everywhere in the regards to a 6, 8, and 10, which is a defensive midfielder, a regular midfielder, and a, a attacking midfielder. So he can pretty much be played anywhere. But Frankie de Jong is that guy that they're wanting right there. And there is some possibility that Lissandra Martinez can play as a number six. He can play as a holding midfielder. So if at times they're playing a bigger team and need to bring on like Harry Maguire to play center back, they can play Lissandra Martinez at defensive midfielder. Again, if need be. They're not going to necessarily do that because they had a scrimmage yesterday against Wrexham and they played a 4-3-3 formation with Christian Eriksen in midfield with center back partnership at Lissandra Martinez and Rafael Varane. If you looked at the preseason of what Manchester United did, Rafael Varane and Harry Maguire strictly played as right center backs. Victor Lindelof played every game at left center back. Harry Maguire, in his time at Manchester United, and even with England, have played, has played traditionally as left center back. But with Lissandra Martinez coming in as a left-footed player, he's going to nail down that left-sided center back starting spot. And he took the number six, which again, which is a really cool number for center backs. So it'll be a rotation piece between Harry Maguire and Rafael Varane. Harry Maguire is still captain, which is whatever, but... There's really not a lot of other options here. It looks like Harry Maguire will be like the club captain, but he ain't really going to be captain on the field. I think we're going to expect like Bruno Fernandes to be the captain in the Premier League. I think we'll expect to see Bruno Fernandes. I would imagine Bruno Fernandes wears the captain's armband more often than not this season. That's just what I feel like right now. That could be wrong, but I think that's what's going to happen with Manchester United. I think Scott McTominay will wear it for a little bit. I think David De Gea will wear it for a little bit. I think we might even see a chance of Rafael Varane wearing the captain's armband as he is the vice captain on the French national team. So maybe there's a chance of that as well. So there's just a lot of options, a lot of things going on with Manchester United who have made three nice signings. We didn't even bring up Tyrell Malasio, who came from Feyenoord left back, who should at some point take Luke Shaw's starting job. Because if we're talking about the modern fullback, about pushing forward, he fits that with athletic ability, speed, all that stuff. He fits that more than Luke Shaw does. Luke Shaw's more defensive, even though with England he plays as a white left wing back in a 5-3-2 formation or 5-2-3 formation for England. He does go up there because England's defense is not very good comparatively to some of the older English defense where they had like Sol Campbell, Rio, John Terry. Um, crap, who was the guy from Tottenham? Ledley King. Like They had some legendary defenders. Now they've got Harry Maguire, John Stones, Connor Cody, Tyrone Mings. Ben White, Fakayo Tomori, like they've defensive options at center back are not great. So when they play with the back three, they have Kyle Walker back there with John Stones, Harry Maguire. That's usually their traditional starting back line of the back three with Luke Shaw left wing back. And then Kieran Trippier usually deployed as right wing back, but I think we should start seeing Trent Alexander Arnold Reese James there this summer, but time will tell or this this winter, I guess, because we got a winter World Cup. But man, let's go over this Premier League predictions table real quick. Uh I'm not going to go over the entire table. I want to go over the top six teams, and then I want to go over the bottom teams. So when you're looking at the top six teams from last year, that would be Manchester City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Tottenham, Arsenal, and Man United. And we're going to give some dark horse teams that could break into the top six this year, but for the most part, I think this is how it'll be. I think winning the league's Man City. 
I have a hard time believing Man City will lose a league anytime here in the near future. I think Liverpool losing Sadio Mane is big. Bringing Darwin Nunes on a lot of money, a 100 million euro bid for Darwin Nunes from Benfica off one season, it's pretty interesting. But Luis Diaz at left wing, you've got Diego Jota there as well, who can play as a center forward as a false nine. Mohamed Salah is going to get his goals. Still got Virgil van Dijk, Trent, Andrew Robertson. Like They've got Allison there too. Liverpool is going to be fine. I think Liverpool wins second, I think, pretty comfortably. But Man City bringing in Erling Haaland. Julian Alvarez, who's played really well down in Argentina, made his first. This will be his move over to Man City this season. Like They didn't really need to make a lot of signings. They brought in Calvin Phillips as well, who's a little overpriced because he's English. He's just going to be a rotational piece behind Rodri. De Bruyne's still there. Bernardo Silva, Phil Foden, Riyad Mahrez. Jack Grealish, you would expect to be better than what he was last year. Now Raheem Sterling's gone which is very interesting. And Jao Cancelo, their left back slash right back's taking the number seven, which is weird. It's weird seeing a left back or just a fullback in general wear number seven, but that's what Jao Cancelo is. But Jao Cancelo can play pretty much anywhere, so I don't think the number seven is definitive to his left back spot. But, hey, it's it will be interesting to see that. But they've had a left back wear number 11 for years. They had Alexander Kolarov, and they had Zinchenko wear that for a few years. He's now at Arsenal, down with Gabriel Jesus. But I think those two are firmly the top two teams in the league with Man City and Liverpool. Third place team in the league, I think, this year, I think it's Tottenham. Tottenham's made some pretty nice moves this offseason. And they've got one of the best coaches in the Premier League in Antonio Conte. Like Harry Kane, you expect him to be back and fully healthy and firing all cylinders. They brought in Ivan Perisic to play one of the wingback spots. They brought in uh, Yves Basuma from Brighton, who I really wanted at Manchester United. I would really have liked Yves Basuma at Manchester United, but you know what? You can't win them all. I don't know if I mentioned Sung Hung Min, but he's very good as well. He's a very, very good player. They brought in Richarlison from from Everton, who might be flirting with one of the relegation spots this year. Might be. Because they were flirting with it last year. They did bring in Dwight, Dwight McNeil today, so that'll be interesting. And they're also in talks with bringing in uh, Idris Gay from, from PSG, who they've had before. We'll see if that move makes any sense, or makes if it actually ends up materializing. They also brought in DJ Spence from Middlesbrough. So I Tottenham's got a nice team. They got a very nice team. A front three of Harry Kane, Richarlison, and Sung Hyung Min is very nice. A midfield duo of Rodrigo Bentacour and Yves Basuma or Pierre Pierre Hamil Hoiberg in there as well. Very good defense or very good midfield options right there. They got Tengai on Dembele there as well as come back from loan from Marseille. You got options in midfield. But then in defense, you got Eric Dyer, who's been playing very well as that middle center back. Christian Romero's been one of the best center backs in the league since coming over from Atalanta on loan. Then uh, who else they got there at center back? Davison Sanchez should be better than what he was last year. They've been playing Ben Davies at center back quite a bit recently. But Jeff at Tanganga has been playing at center back slash right wing back, which is more fitting for a center back or a normal 4-4, like a four back, a defense Jeez, a back four, more traditional than that version of a right back than a right wing back. But you brought in Perisic for that. Regulon is going to be playing at left wing back, you would imagine. Emerson Royale at right back. Like, not great options at the wing back spot, but I, I would assume Ivan Perisic is going to start as one of those wing backs as he did that for Inter Milan. Under Angolo, uh, Antonio Conte, I almost said Angolo Conte, but under Antonio Conte. But yeah, I like what Tottenham did. I like what Tottenham did. Hyungmin Sun scored 23 goals from outside of the penalty spot. Didn't score a single penalty, scored 23 goals. Hyung Sun, jeez. Hyungmin Sun, it's not a hard name to say. 
it's just it, it throws me off a little bit when people. I know there's traditional Koreans, traditional Korean saying, how you say his name, and there's the name that everybody like Wikipedia or FIFA will say, like Sun Hung Min or Hyung Min Sun. So it just kind of throws my brain around because I've heard it pronounced both ways or heard heard it said both ways. So it's throwing me off a little bit, but I think Tottenham finished third. And then we get a little interesting. Fourth, fifth, sixth. Arsenal, Manchester United, and Man and uh, Chelsea. Now, last year, Chelsea finished third on 74 points. We have Arsenal in fifth and Manchester United in sixth. So let's just go over those teams real quick. I want to start off with Arsenal. We'll go, like, who we decide. I think the top three is pretty self-explanatory, given the signings Tottenham made and how City and Liverpool are just miles above everybody in the league. But looking at Arsenal first... I like some of the signings they made. They brought in Gabriel Jesus, who has been, who was originally, I guess, supposed to be the heir apparent to Sergio Aguero at Man City, but Aguero never left until well, he did eventually leave. But when they signed Jesus, it was like, okay, we're going to phase out Aguero, but Aguero kept popping up because Aguero is one of the greatest strikers in Premier League history. So Jesus never got consistent enough playing time as a striker, and then last year played more as a right winger than as a traditional number nine or even as a false nine. Arsenal will run their usual 4-2-3-1, so he'll be all alone as the main number nine with Martin Odegaard behind him, who you'd expect to be the next captain for Arsenal. It hasn't been announced yet, but you would expect him. But Eddie Nketiah got announced as the new number 14. A lot of weight to carry there. Thierry Henry's number for many, many years at Arsenal. Eddie Nketiah played well during spurts last year when they sold Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, loaned, I guess, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang to Barcelona at the time. Then they officially bought him somehow. And then when Alexander Lacazette would rotate in and out, he played well. He did play well last year. They also brought in some younger players. They brought in Fabio Vieira from, I believe, Porto. Who else did they bring in? They brought in someone else, a younger kid or younger player. Uh, who was it? 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 I'm blanking. I can't remember who else they brought. Well, they brought in Zinchenko and they brought in Matt Turner as well. Matt Turner, I've, I've had gripes with this before. Like, Matt, Zach Steffen did the same thing. Ethan Horvath did the same thing. Why are United States international goalkeepers fine with just being backups? I understand doing it for, like, a little bit, but Zach Steffen just went on loan. I don't think this is the right time for Matt Turner to take this Arsenal job. I don't. He ain't beating out Aaron Ramsdale. He ain't. Aaron Ramsdale's competing for the England number one spot. Like, Matt Turner... At, at least right now, I guess that is subject to change due to injuries and stuff like that in form. I don't think there's a world where he beats out Aaron Ramsdale for the starting Arsenal job anytime soon. So with Zach Steffen going on loan to Middlesbrough, I think that helps Zach Steffen's chances of being the main number main number one for the United States goalkeepers a lot. I think that helps him a lot. But the thing with Arsenal that kind of concerns me is their real lack of depth in midfield. Like, not on the winger. The wings are fine. They got Bakayo Saka. They got ML Smith-Rowe. They, Smith they've got Gabriel Martinelli. Jesus can play out wide if need be. Like we said, he played as a as a right winger for Manchester City. They got Ainsley Maitland-Niles back from loan. They got Nicholas Pepe, who can play as the right winger as well. Reese Nelson's back. If they can get Reese Nelson playing, that'd be perfect. But those are all wingers. Those are all wingers. You look at the midfield options. You got Thomas Party. Mohamed Elneny and Granit Xhaka. Those aren't great options there. Like, if Thomas Party gets hurt, it's not looking very good. You've got some young options. Uh, Lukonga can play center mid as well. 
Played a little bit there last year for Arsenal. Young player. But their midfield options are not are not great. They did not make a ton of moves in the midfield area. They got Lucas Torreira, but I don't know if he's going to want to come back. He's officially on the team. Doesn't have a squad number assigned to him, but he's officially on the team. William Salabia. We'll see if he actually gets a run in games because they got Ben White and Gabriel Magalhaes playing as the center back partnership there. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And like their back line's not that bad. Like you got uh, Tommy Asu at right back. You got Kieran Tierney if you can stay healthy at left back. Then you got Ben White and Gabriel at center backs. Ramsdale at goal. Then you've got Thomas Party and a rotation of El Nani and Granit Xhaka. Out on the right, you got Saka. Out on the left, you got Martinelli. Number 10, you got friggin' Martin Odegaard, who should, again, should be the captain. Number 9, you got Gabriel Jesus. I don't, I'm not a massive fan of their depth. They got to start implementing some of these. Reese Nelson needs to get a run of games here because Reese Nelson is fairly good when he gets consistent playing time. So that's my run in with Arsenal. We've already kind of talked about Manchester United a little bit, but I think the thing that surrounds Manchester United the most is the thing that are going on with Cristiano Ronaldo. Because as of right now, regardless if Ronaldo is currently going to play for Manchester United or not, he's not going to start the season. Anthony Martial, for whatever you think about Anthony Martial, had it was one of Manchester United's, if not Manchester United's, top player in preseason. He looked awesome. He looked like his old self from a few years ago before he got loaned out to Sevilla. And Ronaldo does not want to play in the Europa League. Ronaldo is one of the greatest of all time, and Ronaldo is Mr. Champions League. He holds all the records in the Champions League, won multiple Champions League. He ain't playing in the Europa League. So he's trying to force a move out. I saw today he was linked with a move to either Napoli or Lazio. He was trying to get a move apparently to Atletico Madrid, and the fans denied him, and the, the director denied him as well. I don't know why. I mean, I understand why you'd want Ronaldo in Atletico Madrid, but as a fan, you ain't want, you ain't want him. You ain't want him. You'd probably forgive him after a little bit, but on the initial, initial read, you'd be a little upset. He's also been linked with Chelsea. Like, no one wants Cristiano Ronaldo right now, so that's the problem. Apparently, they're meeting up with Aaron Ted Hogg to re-up his contract and loan him out. That's what it sounds like anyways. I don't know if that's actually what's going to happen, but that's what it's kind of looking like what's going to happen for Cristiano Ronaldo. A new contract plus loan. Manchester United have made it pretty clear they're not selling him, but the problem is kind of what we talked about with, with Arsenal and their midfield depth. If Anthony Martial gets hurt, if Ronaldo's gone, their striker options are non-existent. Like, there are talks about bringing Anthony in from Ajax, but he's a right winger. So if you bring Anthony in, he's going to start at right wing. You would imagine Jaden Sancho starts at left wing. So you're running a front line with a rotation of Anthony Martial, Marcus Rashford, who's been really consistent as of late, especially as a striker, and Anthony Alonga, who is a natural winger but has played striker under Ralph Radnick last year. So their striking options are not really ideal. Midfield, in regards to number 10, they got Erickson, they got Fernandez, they got Van de Beek. Fine. Deep mid, deep line midfield, huge issues until they get Frankie de Jong in. The defense is improved. You made a, two signings to improve the defense. Lissandra Martinez, who can play multiple positions, play left back, center back, and defensive midfield, who's going to play center back next to Varane. You would imagine. You got Tyrell Molassi and Luke Shaw left back. Uh, I saw some today that Alex Tellez and Link Beth have moved to Porto. And then Diego's, Diego, Diogo Dello playing right back ahead of Aaron Wan-Bissaka. They've been linked a lot with Denzel Dumfries. I'm not 100% confident with Diogo Delo at, at right back, but you know what? He's a lot better going forward than Aaron Wan-Bissaka, but he's also a lot worse defending than Aaron Wan-Bissaka. So it's kind of a catch-22 there and what you want there. And then goalie David De Gea, 
does the main part of goalkeeping well in regards to saving goals, but his command on crosses has been going down tremendously, and his ball distribution is very bad. It's not good. They loaned Dean Henderson out to Nottingham Forest this year for a year, so we'll see if they bring him back next year, or if they'll see if they go out and sign another goalkeeper next year. It's been very clear that David Hay is going to main, be the main guy this year. After this year, I have no idea. It's what we talked about, though, going back to strikers when we talked about Memphis Depay, where we provide extra striker depth. He can also play the whole front line. He can play right wing, left wing. He can even play as a number 10 if need be. So he can play pretty much anywhere along the front line. So that's why I kind of like the idea of Memphis Depay, plus he'll come pretty cheap. Anthony played under Eric Ten Hag at Ajax, so that move makes sense. Like left-footed right winger, I really like those that can cut in. You see what likes of Mohamed Salah have done being that. And Mohamed Salah, before he got to Chel- before he got to Liverpool, was not this goal-scoring winger that we see now. Like, he was just some good winger that played for Roma before he made the move to Liverpool, and now he's one of the best players in the world. But Manchester United will see a lot of youth get implemented this year, I would imagine. At least I would think. Like, if Frankie de Jong doesn't get signed this window, you would imagine James Gardner staying. Ethan Laird, I've heard links with moves with Ajax. As a right back. So they did lose Mazwawi, who went to Bayern Munich this offseason. Or this transfer window, I guess I should say. But yeah, it's a it's it's weird. I don't really know what to make for Manchester United right now. I really don't know what to make of Manchester United right now. It all depends on what Ronaldo's doing. And Anthony Martial looks really good right now, but it's preseason. You can't really judge a whole lot of preseason, but he does look really good right now. And then Chelsea, the last team we're gonna talk about here, have signed really nobody. Really? I mean, you brought in Kaladu Koulibaly, who Manchester United were linked with in the past, and Raheem Sterling. Two players. And they've been linked with like 100 players. And they lost Romelu Lukaku. I'm not a massive fan of Chelsea this year. I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna be honest. Now, Armando Brogia, we'll see if he stays. That'd be a big keep for them if they can keep him to stay, because he had a really good season with Southampton last year. He was linked with the move with West Ham. But they brought in Gianluca Scamacha from uh, Sassuolo this offseason. So there's their striker, quote-unquote, issue figured out. So maybe Armando Brogia stays. Connor Gallagher had a really nice season with Crystal Palace, but had a terrible penalty. I think it was against Charlotte FC in the preseason. I mean, they still got like some of the Golo Conte. They've got Thiago Silva, Jorginho, Edouard Mendes, nice goalkeeper. Mason Mount, I didn't mention him. He's their best player. Ben Chill will be back after tearing his ACL. Reese James is there. Kai Havertz is still nice. But I don't know. I really don't know. If I had to make like a gut pick right now, I'd go Arsenal, Man United, Chelsea. Am I confident in that? No. Not at all. My, my head is saying Manchester United sixth. But... What I saw in preseason, again, it's hard for me to judge because it is just preseason. It is just that. But, man, it's hard for me not to look at that and go, wow, this could be a sign of things to come. They're getting actual proper coaching, which they have not had pretty much since, well, since Mourinho. Like, Ole, I, as a player, can't really go wrong with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in regards to Manchester United Legends. But all he did was bring in Juan Basaka, Harry Maguire, Dan James, didn't really, and Jane Sancho, like, spent a lot of money. But in regards to coaching and system, it never really seemed to fit. And for Ralph Rednick pretty much hated his entire time with Manchester United. 
Like I never saw him smile after a post-game press conference, and he was smiling his first press conference with Austria. So I think bringing in Eric Ten Hag is massive, and I think it will implement a new, a new mindset with Manchester United. They have not had in a very, very long time. I think that could rejuvenate the squad a little bit because it's not a bad squad, really. It's not a bad squad. You've got two big time the the, the reported leaks in Paul Pogba and Jesse Lingard out. So we'll see. But that's my that's what my gut is telling me. Arsenal, Man United, Chelsea. And I don't know if that's I don't think that's right. We'll have a This one's stressing me out. <laughs> Oh, man. Because if you look at what happened last year, Manchester United were a lost cause. It was the worst season in Premier League history for Manchester United. And Arsenal and Chelsea were not too far off each other. And Arsenal started to look a lot better as the season went on. <laughs> Chelsea lost Antonio Rudiger. I, but I don't know who's going to play as the other center back. I mean, they got Koulibaly and Thiago Silva. I don't know who the third center back is going to be. I don't know. I really don't know what Chelsea's do. I, it's hard. This is hard. But I am gonna. St- I think I'm gonna go with Arsenal, Man United, Chelsea. I think. In regards to teams that could break into the top six, I think they go in this order. I think it goes like West Ham, Aston Villa, Newcastle. I was high on Aston Villa last year, and they finished 14th. But you look at some of the moves they've made. Brought in Kamara from Marseille. They brought in. Oh uh, crap! They brought in other players, and I'm completely blanking right now. I, I've been watching. What what the hell? Why am I blanking so much? Who else did they bring in? They brought in Bubakar Kamara from, Mar- from Marseille. They brought Philippe Coutinho on a permanent deal. They got Ludwig Antonsen. Uh, Ludwig Augustinsson, Swedish international left back from Sevilla on loan. I feel like they've made other moves. Why am I not? I can't think of the other moves. And John McGinn's been made captain. I was unaware of that. Oh, they brought in Diego Carlos. From Sevilla as well. Nice defensive options there. Jacob Ramsey, still a nice player. Young player. Very nice young player. I think I think they should be better. I think they'll finish right below West Ham. I think they'll finish like eighth. And Newcastle, they made some not flashy, flashy moves. But you look at how they played as the season went on last year. And how many players they had were without for a short period of time. I think Callum Wilson being out. For that period was a little rough for them. You saw some rough patches for them. But I think bringing in Nick Pope as goalie, bringing in Sven Botman at center back, they're linked with a few other players as well, like Lucas Pocketa from uh, Lyon, who played for AC Milan, Brazilian international, friends with Bruno Gamares, who's one of their center mids. Uh, Jolinton looks like a pretty solid center, box-to-box midfielder now, midfield destroyer, which is very weird to say. I never thought I'd, th- I'd think of that when I thought of Jolinton. They also are linked with the likes of Diaby from Bayer Leverkusen. I don't remember who else they brought in. If they brought in anybody else of really big note. Brought in Matt Target officially. He was on loan there last year. They brought him in officially. Yeah, I think I think Newcastle, if they get someone on that right wing to take the pressure off of Alan St. Maximin, who just is a massive he just dribbles the ball everywhere. Probably one of the best dribblers in the Premier League. But it takes a lot of pressure off of him if you can manage to bring in a left-footed right winger. Or just a consistent right winger. Because Miguel Almiron, since coming over from Atlanta United, has not really been that. He's had flash. He's a very technical player. That's been pretty much it. 
very, very little in regards to substance. From they also got Kieran Trippier, who should be back and fully healthy this season. Like I like what Newcastle. They're not going to be that great this year, but in the next few years, they should be. They should be battling for top six. You would imagine. And then we're talking about the bottom of the league. I think you've got to look at like five teams. I think you look at Bournemouth and Nottingham and Fulham, the two, the three teams that just got brought up. If you look at the championship season last year, Fulham finished the season on ninety points, had a plus sixty three goal difference with 106 goals scored, which is ridiculous. They had Bournemouth finishing second on 88, and Nottingham Forest coming up via the playoff with 80 points last year. And it's the championship is very hard to judge. So you look at Norwich. Norwich will probably win the championship this year. It's just what they do. But <laughs> they'll be back in the Premier League next year and go straight back down like they have their entire existence. But like if you look at teams like that, so we'll look at Fulham first. You got like Alexander Mitrovic there. Alexander Mitrovic is a goal scoring machine in the championship, but hasn't been able to do really anything in the Premier League. They brought Joao Palena from Porto this offseason, was linked with the likes of Wolves and Manchester United at points. Was Rodrigo Muniz brought in this year? No, he's brought in last year. I don't know who else they've even brought in. That's been pretty much it. Kevin Moabu, they brought him in from Young Boys. Or no, Wolfsburg, Wolfsburg, Wolfsburg. What, what am I talking about? Wolfsburg. He's a Swiss international. Brought him in. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's Fulham for you. Then we got Bournemouth. I'm not really having high expectations for Bournemouth. I'm really not having high expectations. I think they'll be – I'm pretty confident they'll be the worst team in the Premier League this year. Like, what moves have they made to secure their spot in the Premier League? Really? Like, I, 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 I don't know. I look at their roster. Like, Mark, Mark Travers is the goalie. He's fine. They brought in Ryan Fredericks. <laughs> Joe Rothwell from Blackburn. I, I'm not, it, it's not looking great. Let's just put it like that. It's not looking great. In regards to Nottingham Forest, they've actually made some signings. Again, they brought in Jesse Lingard. They brought in Dean Henderson on loan. Nice gets. Nice gets. They brought in Omar Richards from Bayern Munich, which I which is still weird to think about that. He went from Reading to Bayern Munich. Now he's back in the English Premier League with Nottingham Forest. They brought in Wayne Hennessy. Like they've made moves. They've made they've made moves. They brought in Nico Williams, who played at Liverpool. But I still don't think they're gonna stay up. I have a hard time believing they're gonna stay up this year. Even if even though they made moves to you know, get forward. They brought in Tayo when I I apologize if I mispronounced this. Aoi Awani. Tayo Awani from Union Berlin. Scored 15 goals for Union Berlin in the league last year, 20 and 43 in all competitions last year. He should be their striker. But I just have a hard time thinking maybe they'll come, maybe they'll finish above that. Maybe they'll I think they have a chance. Them in Fulham, I think Bournemouth's damned relegation this year. Brentford, second season syndrome. They had a decent year last year. Defied expectations this year, and I say defied expectations. They finished 13th, which is pretty impressive. Ida and Tony linked with some moves this offseason. Nice player. They brought in Ben Mee as well. Got him in from Burnley. Long-time servant of Burnley. Long time. Over 300 games for Burnley. They got David Rea, who's a decent goalkeeper, somehow a Spanish international. Don't know how the hell that worked out. 
They got Thomas Stratakoshka from Lazio, brought him in, which is still weird. I I feel like he, it feels like he's been talked about a lot. He was linked with a move to Chelsea, and he goes to Brentford instead. And then you got the likes of Everton, who Everton have never been relegated from the Premier League. But Everton are um, kind of rough. Kind of rough. They lost Richarlison, which is big, but they brought in Dwight McNeil, like we said. They're linked with Adrissagana Gay. They have Deli Alley, if they can find a player that's still in there. But what? I, they brought in James Tarkovsky from freaking Burnley. And I like James Tarkovsky. I do like James Tarkovsky. Anthony Gordon, they moved him to their number 10, gave him the number 10 jersey. But that I just have a hard time <laughs> with with Everton. I do. And then they lost to freaking Minnesota United in the preseason four to one. Or four nothing. Four nothing. That's Minnesota United. This they ain't really the top dogs in MLS. I get your Everton, you're struggling, but you should you played a strong lineup against Minnesota United. Still lost four nothing. That's not great. That is not great. But if I had to do like season predictions, like Go, like awards and stuff. Golden Boot, I think, will be Harry Kane. I think him back and fully firing. I think I have a hard time believing he wouldn't win that. Golden Glove, Ederson. He's got the most complete defense in the league. Like, it's not really a lot of defense better than Kyle Walker, Ruben Diaz, Americ Laporte, and Jao Cancelo. There's not really a lot of better defense than that. Manager of the season, I think, in Golden uh, I did it again. Antonio Conte for Tottenham, given the top three. Uh, player of the season, I think, will be Bernardo Silver and Young Player of the Year, which is weird to think about this, but I think it will be Erling Holland. Dude's 23. Dude's younger than Phil Foden. I don't remember the exact criteria for Young Player of the Year, but I think Erling Holland will be up there. I don't know if he'll pit Harry Kane for Golden Boot, but it's hard not to think he'd score over 15, 16 goals this season. And it's a harder league. People can say, well, dude, he's been scoring 30, 40-plus goals in the Bundesliga. league. The Premier League is a different league. Totally different league. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have, like, normal expectations for Erling Holland. I'm not going to come in and say, oh, he's going to score 40 goals right off the bat. He could, but I'm not going to say that at the start of the season. He, I think he really could, but, again, I'm not going to say that. And then congratulations to all the other teams that are just stuck in, stuck in purgatory, like Leicester, Crystal Palace, Brighton, Wolves, Southampton, Leeds. All you guys, congratulations. And Leeds could be worse. Leeds could be worse than that, too. And I'm really afraid for Leeds because if Leeds get relegated, you'll never see another pre- American in the Premier League ever again, coach or player. They brought in freaking Brendan Aronson and Tyler Adams. They got Jesse Marsh as manager. If they get relegated, you ain't going to see any American in the league ever again. Now, Chris Richards made the move to Crystal Palace. Nice young team over there led by Patrick Vieira. So, yeah, either way, I'm excited. The Premier League's a fun season. The transfer window's not over yet. Again, I still expect Manchester United to get Frankie de Jong at some point. When that happens, I don't know, but let's hope it's sooner rather than later. Hope he gets his millions as well. And yeah, I think that's all I've got for you today. If not, I'll probably forget. I, I mean, I forgot something on Wednesday, so I probably forgot something on this show. Probably a good bet for that. But I do hope you enjoyed the show. If you did not, I sincerely apologize. We'll try to be better next time. Once again, make sure you follow Logan Blackman Show on all forms of social media, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and of course, you're listening right now, make sure you're subscribed or following the Apple Podcast and or Spotify account. Leave a rating on a five stars on both. And I will see you all next time. Peace.